You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Monster House presents Monster Talk is proud to be a part of the Airwave Media family, home of such shows as Fork in the Road, Small Things Often, and Therapist Uncensored. If you'd like to advertise on this show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. I've been researching the Kentucky Goblins case vigorously since 2017, and we've talked about it here on the show before, but I finally put all of my research into one two-part article, which is being published in the UK's Skeptic Magazine, and I will link to that in the show notes. There's still a wad of remaining misconceptions and myths about this case that I wanted to give any thoughtful Wikipedia editors an easy-to-use resource that they could use to steer the article towards a more accurate view of what took place one hot, dark August night in rural Kentucky. I hope you'll forgive me for once again getting a bit ranty in this episode, but I feel very strongly about both this story and how the people in the skeptic community comport themselves when working on what many people uses their first stop on their investigations into famous mysteries. We can do better, people, and I hope that my research is able to facilitate that effort. Monster Dog. 
I tell you what, I'm excited because I, a lot of these projects that we've been working on that we're highlighting in these sort of what are we doing episodes, mm-hmm. it's stuff I've been working on for a long time, and I'm excited to see it actually sort of getting finalized. You have, yeah. And I think your investigations are a little different to mine, but I like the way you do them, the fact that you're, you're working on something over a long period of time. I tend to kind of get do a deep dive and work on something for a shorter period, but you really do keep coming back to these uh, cases and you keep finding out more and more. I guess it's a kind of softly, softly catchy monkey approach that you have. And uh, I'm excited to talk about this topic. And, and we have talked about this before, the, the Kentucky goblins. Um, but you, you have a slightly different perspective that you want to tackle today. Okay. First of all, we've talked about this topic multiple times. So I, I would we say, have. listeners, we I don't want to do a giant deep dive into the story of what happened in Kentucky in 1955. Right. We've done but that. I've got links uh, in the show notes. I'll link back to the previous episode coverage if you want to listen to something. Mm-hmm. And I'll link to this article. It's a two-part article. That's uh, Part two should be live on Monday after this episode drops. So uh, I'll link to that as well. But because I know if you're coming in cold, you don't know the story at all, you do need mm. some kind of summary, I have composed a poem. I, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. You, you're just like William Blake, you're, your namesake. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Here we go. In August of 1955, some farmers tried to stay alive as little goblins hopped around and scared the farmers into town. The sheriff and the police, too, searched the farm for any clue. The farmers were truly scared, but without a goblin, no one cared. And afterwards, the camps were split. Was this a hoax or was it legit? And somehow, doubters proudly thunk, it wasn't goblins, they was drunk. Though how much drink would it take to make the sober hallucinate? (laughs) Yay! (laughs) I love it. That really encapsulates everything that well done it kind of does <laughs> <laughs> very well done so okay i guess that's the the story out of the way uh, yeah what angle did you want to take today well I, the first part of the article like part one that's already out is a, a very i think thorough overview of the case part mm-hmm. two is about m- lingering mysteries and some really pernicious misconceptions that are embedded in the Wikipedia coverage of this topic. Right. And I've been trying to get that fixed. And I, I think part two is like bullet by bullet, eh, pardon the not intentional pun, the rare <laughs> yeah. unintended pun. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I go through some of the remaining uh, stuff that's in there and just sort of demolish the myths that are baked into Wikipedia. And I, mm-hmm. it really bugs me, but we'll get into that. Yeah. So what, what are some of the key myths that are remaining in this case? Uh, again, enshrined in the Wikipedia article is the idea that the phrase little green men uh, sort of got kicked off with the Kentucky Goblins case. Okay. And, and, and that is, that is repeated ad nauseum across the internet. And so mm-hmm. that, as it uh, happens, yeah. <laughs> it, it, how could you sort of, I, I kind of take a Popperian, uh, Karl Popper approach to this stuff. Can it be falsified? Can, can we show that it's not the case? And right. yes, it's extraordinarily easy to do some text string searches on a good search engine, mm-hmm. uh, especially like Google Books or newspapers.com, and look for the phrase little green men prior to 1955. And you'll discover that by the 1930s, the phrase was already embedded in science fiction. Mm. But it actually goes back much further. Little green men uh, used to mean 
fairies and goblins and that sort of thing. So it is kind of appropriate in a way that it got associated with this case, but this case is in no way pioneering its use as either sci-fi or as code for uh, drunken hallucinations. Right, yeah. So why do you think that 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 is attached to the story, maybe to uh, kind of legitimize it further? I think it's because um, this case has sort of a, a class element in it. The people mm. who were the witnesses were poor farmers, and right. they have been mocked mercilessly far beyond their lifespans uh, for mm. what mm-hmm. clearly, if you read, go back and look at the original source material, was a traumatic night's events. But it's so much easier to dismiss them as rubes, as drunks, as yeah. anything On except a sober witness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and just There's nothing to back that up, but we'll mm. get to that. What are some other myths that we need to look at? Sure. Uh, probably the most dramatic is when um, again th- this article this this case was researched by Isabel Davis and Ted Bletcher, uh, who were two uh, UFO researchers for QFOS, the Center for UFO Studies. Which okay. pet peeve, um, mm. their work was incredibly journalistic. They uh. went and did interviews. It is not a book full of accusations that it was aliens. Mm-hmm. What it really is is a really great. Uh, like step-by-step recap of what happened and it gives it context. Yeah. The folklore, but also, you know, they, they gave it context of this wasn't an isolated event in 1955. Mm. And in that era, there were people spotting humanoid aliens and, you know, all all over the place. And that doesn't mean that there really were UFOs and aliens all over the place or flying saucers. It means people were reporting them. It was in the Mm. zeitgeist. So, uh, whether there was anything to any of those cases is kind of not the point. The point is that it was a cultural moment when UFOs, aliens, little green men were already out there as a culturally available template for whatever you experience. And do you think a lot of these were kind of copycat cases or do you think they were independent? Uh- I think that it was something new that was happening sort of after, you know, the events of Roswell and right. uh, mm-hmm. and the more importantly than Roswell, I think the uh, first flying saucer, uh, Kenneth Arnold's uh, flying yes. saucers really sort of set the world afire with this idea. Mm-hmm. And it's still going. That fire is still burning. You don't need fuel for it, apparently, other than yeah. people's curiosity and a mm-hmm. unwillingness to actually understand what's floating around. Mm-hmm. But. But when people know if if a hot topic is, you know, UFOs and aliens and you see something weird in the sky, then you have a weird creature, you know, outside your house. Aliens is a perfectly rational explanation if you're not super informed. If you think that way, yeah. Yeah. But people were so disappointed after the events when there were no aliens found, there was no crashed ship. They started naysaying literally every aspect of the story, including the part where the poor farmers had been scared, hiding inside their house and shooting out through the screen window at what they mm-hmm. saw as little goblins. Mm-hmm. And they there was photographs of the screen and there's drawings of the screen. People were speculating that they had just poked holes in the screen with a uh, with oh. a tobacco stick, a post, you know, like a something from the garden. A stick All kinds of, it's like, yeah, but I don't know why. Like no one just shot through a screen to see if it made that kind of hole. And and I was researching this a few years ago mm-hmm. and I was like, wait a minute. It's a twenty two and a twenty gauge shotgun. I own those weapons. I oh. could just go get a vintage screen and shoot through it. And so science, full science. I yeah, exactly. And I, so I did and I have to say I was really surprised. Like for one thing was like the hole in the screen was kind of squarish in the drawing. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, why would a shotgun make a square hole? Probably due to the nature of the way the screen's put together. But when okay. I did my shots, it did the same thing. It made a squarish hole. So, you know. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So do you think that they did shoot out of their screens? 100% that? I think they did. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm actually right. surprised anybody doubted it. But, you hmm. know, they're willing to believe these are drunken rednecks, you know, making up a story. But not that they would fire a gun through a window. Come on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a weird thing to be doubtful of. But I, I, I feel like I've demonstrated that the outcome they got was extremely plausible because I got the same outcome. So Yeah, it yeah. sounds dangerous, too. It could have been kids or something if they were three feet tall. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's so much weird about this story. Like, so the oh, one that's really real got me WTF mad. WTF story. Yes, and it is a weird story. And again, I, I think my conclusion is, and spoilers, but I think my conclusion is that what they experienced that night was probably them confronting a pair of territorial owls. But mm-hmm. you got to understand that the cultural context was not a farm at night. It was a world where aliens are invading. It's, it's a world where in, in they're seeing context. something weird. They've only got two, they're in a dark farmhouse with like two little bulbs hanging on either, like either of the entrances to the house. And if you've mm-hmm. ever been in a dark starlit night mm-hmm. uh, and had a light on, it only illuminates so far and it actually makes everything else harder to see, you know? Right. Yeah. And so they, it, I think that people just sort of imagine it being like a broad daylight kind of, you know, very clearly there were goblins from outer space kind of situation. Mm-hmm. It's like there's so many artist renditions that make it, you know, of course that's an alien. But mm-hmm. but the reality is they saw something in the shadows. They saw something in the dark. They were being mm-hmm. touched in the dark. You know, a lot of weird things were happening. Definitely <laughs> need to place it within that context of the time and even the yeah. socioeconomic group, uh, what the house would have been like. So I, I guess moving on. This whole drinking issue, uh, a, a lot is made about that facet of the story. Were the witnesses drinking, in your opinion? Uh, no, absolutely not. Uh, we have witnesses on site. We have one guy who says he thinks the goblins came out of a bottle. Everybody <laughs> else is saying they didn't see any evidence of drinking. There was a couple of beer cans found on the farm at all. Okay. Now, I'd, I, I, you've, you ever have a drink? Um, once or twice. I, I've occasionally had one. Have you, <laughs> really? you ever been at a bar? You know how when you get to a bar and then like people get drunk and then everybody starts hallucinating? <laughs> oh, wait. That's not a thing that happens. What the? Ah! <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I have been on some ghost hunting investigations where people uh, kind of – I think their imaginations take them away yes, a little bit. Yes, spirits on but the have spirits, they ever but... been so drunk that the hallucinations spread across the room? Like, <laughs> not not when it comes to alcohol. Let's say that. Yeah, it, well, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I mean, there are plenty of hallucinogens and, and things that people can take that mm. have not been mentioned with this case. Yeah, and uh, so here, okay, this is an unfortunate story. Here's what's happened. There are people within the skeptical community who work on trying to make Wikipedia a less nonsense place. Mm-hmm. And and to an extent, I totally agree with that attitude. I'm, sure. You know. On the surface, yeah. But the way they implement that is uh, often combative mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, irrational. Right. And when they find a thing that supports their view – they put that up even if it makes no sense. And that's what's yeah. happened here. Yes. And I feel really bad about this because this what they've done is they've linked to a paper 
And okay. that paper has um, elements in it that are just wrong. I don't know how else mm-hmm. to put it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's It was written by Rodney Schmaltz and Scott Lillenfield. And Scott has uh, done yeoman's work in mm-hmm. skeptical. In skeptical work in the, in the field. I mean, he really mm-hmm. has done a great work trying to make the world a more rational place. I don't know guy. Rodney. But the, what they did was they wrote a paper, and it was about how to use skepticism and, and sort of pseudoscience in the classroom. Okay. And unfortunately, they picked this case as a good example of how you could use this in the classroom. Okay, so they were speculating. Right, they were. And this paper is not a case study about the Kentucky Goblin. It's about using skepticism and pseudoscience in the classroom. That's okay. what the paper's about. It was an example. It is an example. It's just an example. And they cited two sources. They cited mm-hmm. Joe Nichols' research, and they cited the Bletcher and Davis papers from QFOS. Okay? okay. And then they said that those sources showed that alcohol was the root cause. That is just not true. Mm. Both of those sources do not say. In fact, mm-hmm. both sources explicitly deny that alcohol was likely the cause or even a factor that wow. night. Wow. Mm. So it's a really bad citation mm-hmm. to the point that I wrote both of them and they had to issue a change to the article. But you don't see that. If you go look at the article, it looks the same. But if you go back to the source that's you know hosting uh-huh. the article, mm. it'll show the correction. But the correction's wrong, too. It still says alcohol may have been a cause. Alcohol was oh, not wow. a factor in this case. It wow. should never have been part of the evidence used to support that hypothesis. Mm. Well, that just makes skeptics look bad, and it's kind of doing it exactly does. what we accuse the, the other side of doing. Yeah, this this article is like just a beautiful example of how not to make the world a more rational place. They basically yeah. replaced the story they didn't want mm-hmm. with another wrong story that they did. And their wrong story is, on the face of it, absurd. You could just check. It's a God, you know, this is not where Little Green Man come from. It had nothing to do with drinking. You know, mm-hmm. there are real reasons why people see weird stuff. People need to wake up and oh, stop making up dumb reasons. Absolutely. And and hopefully our listeners, that there might be someone out there who might be able to help uh, to fix those areas on Wikipedia. It would be out. ideal. In fact, I, the, I'll be blunt. The way I wrote this article, I'm hoping that it can be cited instead of the Schmaltz and Lillenfield article. thinking. You know, so like it, it just yeah. literally gives all the sources that you and need show to as well. fix it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just, oh, it's so frustrating. And I want to say that I've had some really great uh, interactions with the people over at Astonishing Legends because uh, they, yeah, they sort of got me fired up about this. They were the ones who them showed me. Yeah, they, they've been they've been they've covered this topic as much as we have, mm-hmm. and I, I think they're in the same boat. They'd like to see the article fixed because that is, I think, for most people, where they learn about stuff mm-hmm. or go to see what's what's the real story. I'll go to Wikipedia, and yeah. sometimes that's no good, you know. Right. I mean, even just as, as a starter point, but uh, it's not good that these uh, myths are, are being perpetuated and uh, the, these false explanations as well. But moving on. The flipping goblins. What was up with the the flipping goblins? That what was up with the flipping goblins? That's what I want to know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Not as a curse word. (laughs) So the the description of the goblins uh, from that night included some very strange things, like they floated, which if they're owls, not surprising. That they kind of yeah, obvious. (laughs) They kind of glowed. 
Um, mm-hmm. you know, they had blows. long arms and they walked with short little stiff legs. Again, sounds like owls, but yeah, um, th- this, there's this one element. Non-human this, primates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> long arms. They, Long arms. That's right. Well, people do draw them like little monkeys. That's a real thing. I mean, there's all kinds of artistic interpretations. Yeah, I've seen lots of trippy ones. I was on a call with Joe Nickel, and we were talking about this, and he mentioned that the fact that they flipped was still kind of a, a mystery to him. Mm-hmm. And it, I told him uh, what I'll tell you and what I wrote in the article. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up uh, in a family that hunted. Um, I have largely dropped out of that, but I used to be a regular bird hunter okay. and uh, every Didn't September we would go. Yeah. We, we hunted doves. That's like, it was our big family get together and it, I, wonderful times. And it's, it's hard to shoot them. Uh, they, they move fast and flip. They do. Well, they flip. Move That's one of the things that they do. <laughs> if you shoot at them, sometimes they will flip in the air like over and over tumbling and mm-hmm. then recover and continue flying. And mm-hmm. I couldn't tell in those cases, was that a dodge or had I hit them and that was them falling and then recovering? I don't yes. know. But what yeah. I later found out was, you know, doves are in this sort of pigeon family. Mm-hmm. And there are entire breeds of pigeons that are called tumblers. And they mm-hmm. will tumble through the air and flip end over end that way. Okay. And so I told this to Joe. And he was like, so there are birds that can tumble in the air as sort of a defensive mechanism mm-hmm. and then recover. You know, mm-hmm. and whether the tumblers do that in the pigeon world as a defense or it's just a behavior that they have, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I do know that I've seen it in in gunplay on hunting fields with doves. So I can only say that doves and pigeons, which are closely related, do flip. But mm-hmm. it is possible that that it's true for owls, too. And yeah. that would explain it. But, but the thing is, I, I would never shoot an owl. You know, uh, and so I don't Luckily know how don't to shoot doves or pigeons anymore, too. Well, I don't. I, yeah, I, I have not. I'm not. I don't think it's a moral outrage or anything, but I don't do it. I just, you know, I've got plenty of other ways to get food. And while it is I, I, it is absolutely fun, I can do the same thing with clay, clay uh, targets and have a good time. Shooting yeah, that way. much better. But yeah, I guess that's for another discussion. It is. And also, I just don't have time to go shooting anymore. It's like I'm too busy and I like it, but I prefer fishing. So. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. We've got a podcast recommendation I think will be really fun and or useful for Monster Talk listeners. I Know Dino, the big dinosaur podcast. Studying dinosaurs can teach us about the prehistoric world, but also the world of today. For example, migration patterns of dinosaur lineages can tell us about the Earth's changing continents. 
climate models of dinosaur ecosystems help us understand global warming. Studying dinosaur diets can help show the link between plant and animal evolution. Talk about paleo. Hmm. In many dinosaur injuries, <laughs> paleopathologies are the first known occurrences of diseases. A new episode of I Know Dino comes out every week with new dinosaur discoveries you won't hear about anywhere else. You can find I Know Dino on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I'll reach who it will. <laughs> that, that is an interesting perspective and definitely something to, to take into consideration too. But uh, let's move on and talk a bit about the investigation. How organized was it? And how many government agencies participated? Because I've heard different versions. Yeah, it is really interesting to me because, um, again, because you had a sheriff's department and the from two counties, the police mm -hmm. department, and Air Force and possibly government agents from other agencies. There, it, it becomes it, what happens is when they do these TV recreations, it's not sort of a. Um, a random assortment of people piling up on this, you know, farm to find out what's going on. It's like, we're from the government. We're here to help. You know, it's a super organized and elite, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, I've been working, you know, I was in the Navy. I know what it was really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was, reality. it was a crime scene, sort of you know, not a crime, but it was that it was like a, a, a police uh, response in a, in a small town adjacent to a large town. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Kelly is just like a little cluster of farms, but Hopkinsville was a big town. And so when the radio alert went out from the police department, the sheriff's department, I don't think it's that surprising that other agencies who had people with time on their hands showed up. Right. Uh, but it seems like it was much more of a uh, what was it, an organically impromptu uh, kind mm. of response, not a, well, that the government's got to hop on this, you know, seize mm. the craft, you know, hide the evidence, you know, it's nothing yeah. like that. It, yeah. Although you would not get that picture from most of the dramatic and, uh, I'm air quoting, documentary uh, displays on this particular story. Right. Okay. Got it. That, it was a night of chaos. Sense. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like it was. It really does. When you hear uh, people who were actually involved in the event, it sounds like they were scared and things were chaotic for sure. Uh, now, what, I want to add one more thing. The the there was one more element that sometimes is usually missed. I've seen it on a couple of UFO websites. They bring up the connection, mm -hmm. and uh, Jeb pointed it out to me, Jeb Card. Uh, but what it is is that two of our carnival people, like so, some of the people who were at the farmhouse that night had worked in the carnival, and mm -hmm. they had actually just come back from Evansville, uh, which is one state up in Indiana. Okay. okay. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And while they were in Evansville, one week before this event, a woman, and it got on the front page, uh, a woman felt like she had been attacked by like a weird underwater hand that had grabbed her in the river. And there Ooh. was all kinds of, you know, what kind of monster was it? So it was a monster story mm. about a monster attacking a woman in the river a week before these guys showed up in Kelly and then had this experience. And I'm not saying it's a copycat thing. Far from it. I'm thinking that further uh, uh, supports the hypothesis that they were in a uh, monster frame of mind, like that they were already thinking about Absolutely. the world's full of weird monsters. Mm -hmm. You don't never know what's going to happen to you. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. And that affected so, their interpretation of the events. I think so. I really yeah, do. And that I, makes I've sense. linked all that in there. So, I mean, 
when you come down to it, this this whole story is should be. I mean, I think it should be a really important story for skeptics and believers because it shows you how people can have the sort of Rashomon style. Well, I think it was this, and I think it was that. Yeah, even the like the people. The people who saw it, you know, they they gave testimony to a sketch artist, and the most of their stuff looked kind of the same. One guy who was prone to uh, hyperbole, let's say mm-hmm. that, uh, his was the only one that was different, which completely matches the sort of characters that are described in the Davis and Bletcher paper, where right. most of them are they're sober Christian farm people, simple folk mm-hmm. who have this weird experience, and then the one guy is, you know, it was a spaceship. You know, he's a little little more um, creative in his responses. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean nothing happened. It doesn't yeah. mean nothing happened. Yeah. The fact yeah. that everybody was scared, something happened. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, oh, the, there was definitely something that took place that night. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah I, but it's just such uh, so confusing to uh, read about the different stories and the different versions. I mean, everyone has their opinion on it, but certainly uh, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of folklore out there and it's just it's difficult to uh, tease that apart. So, Blake, what would you like to see happen with the Wikipedia entry on this case? Well, I'd like to get it, uh, this is not really a word, I guess, demythified. I'd like to get... <laughs> it sounds I like mean, a good word to me. <laughs> I could tell you a parallel case that I, I think I've probably talked about this before, but it really was informative to me, was... Um, the Leopold and Loeb case, uh, the murder case, there's a, a newspaper story that famously was supposed to have had the headline, mm-hmm. uh, today Richard Loeb, despite his erudition, ended his sentence with a proposition, which is <laughs> an incredibly rude homosexual joke at the expense of a murderer. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm not losing sleep over it. But it was so funny that it was commonly told in journalism classes as this like famous headline or in the uh, obituary for the, the writer who wrote it or said to have written it. It was the New York times said that that was a real headline. And that Mm -hmm. was the basis for that being included in the Leopold and Loeb Wikipedia page as a real thing that happened. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, that's so cool. I'd love to have that headline on a little poster in my wall. So I went to go print it out and uh, couldn't find the newspaper article, had to order mm-hmm. microfish, got them all delivered, started reading it. And of course, that's not what any of the headlines said, because mm-hmm. good God, it was 1930s. Nobody's going to put a gay murder joke as a headline. That's ridiculous. So mm-hmm. you that's- know, realizing how absurd it was, I tried to get it removed from Wikipedia as not existing. But because people say that it does and they say it in print, those primary sources oh, or those yep. secondary sources secondary, trump yeah. the fact that it's bloody not true. And so oh, I went in this... Oh, mm. the, you See can sort of, if you go, to, it's crazy. So mm-hmm. it's hard to get bad information out of Wikipedia. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that this, it, maybe they can rewrite it and say, you know, for example, the little green man is said to have come from this, but mm-hmm. researcher Blake Smith, I don't even want my name. I don't care. It's not about me, but it's like research has shown that that preexisted as an idiom. Yeah. You know, let's just yeah. fix the things that are broken. You know, well, yeah, the people I mean, were not drinking. Stop referencing that Schmaltz and Lillenfield article. It's not, that's not what that article is for. It's mm-hmm. a misappropriation of the article. The article itself is wrong. It's mm-hmm. misusing the work by Nickel and, and, and Davis and Bletcher. I think Davis is dead, but Bletcher's still alive, even though he's very, very old. I mean, it's just wrong, and it needs oh, to be it fixed. It needs to be cleaned up, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. You could absolutely preface these things with this is what's commonly believed, but yeah. here's, the, here's the reality. I think it could be done, uh, and it needs to be done. So hopefully someone will help out. 
part of it is that they don't want to use sources that they deem, you know, not not, you know, sciencey enough. For example, Lyle Blackburn's work, you know, I don't know what Lyle believes. And I think mm-hmm. if you read his work, you won't know either because he does a journalistic approach and just yes. talks about what people are saying. Exactly. They yeah. strip out Lyle's books as sources saying, well, that's a believer book. And I'm like, you can't. No, mm-hmm. no. Mm. That is the worst kind of editorial nonsense. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if the work is valid and it's based on sources and Lyle absolutely gives all his sources. He does. Then you can't just like strip other people's evidence out because you don't like the book. I mean, mm-hmm. if it's nonsense, that's different. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. mean, the, the yeah, yeah. Okay, anyway, Wikipedia is uh, a chore. It's not a goal that can be achieved forever. It's always going to take work. Yes. And, and I, it is an I'm glad people project. want to fix it, but yeah, yeah it's it's an ongoing project. You got to have patience, and and you've got to follow the rules. And mm-hmm. I think some of the people in skepticism working on this do a good job of teaching people the rules, but maybe have a spirit of uh, sort of journalistic integrity and don't try to get your agenda above everyone else's. Uh, I mean, your agenda may be right, but follow the rules. You know, be yep. a sensible, reasonable person. So. Yeah, absolutely, no, <laughs> I think that's a. <laughs> Big important message there, and uh, this does need to be tackled. Did you want? Uh, was there anything else? No, I feel like this got the heart of it. But I would encourage people to read both parts of the article, and if you want to be a Wikipedia editor, you know, see if you can figure out how to incorporate reality uh, mm-hmm. with that article. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we need the assistance here. But so we recently talked about the Patterson Gimlin uh, film, and today revisited the Kentucky Goblins. What else are you working on at the moment, Blake? Well, I'm trying to get Joe Nichols' book out. I'm getting really close. I've got a little bit of front Great matter news. to work out. Yeah. And uh, I've started working on the audiobook version. And, oh, are you uh, doing the you're reading? I am. I am. Oh, It'll be me. Cool. Uh, so unfortunately, it'll also be me editing it. So yeah, hang tight. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, it sounds good. And uh, that, and I've been uh, weirdly I've been working on a, a project uh, tied to uh, King Kong, uh, but I've got to uh, I don't want to say more about that because I think someone could easily scoop me if I uh, say too much. Yeah, so. got to be careful with that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we know that from experience. Yep. Well, but uh, yeah, this is really fun. I'm excited. We've got some uh, fun cryptid episodes coming up in the in the hopper. Oh um, yeah, uh, me too. And thank you again for all of your hard work and your research and. Uh, it's good to have you out there on our side doing this kind of work. Um, it's it's really important and valuable work. I, I will say that uh, I did get a couple of really interesting emails from listeners about the Patterson-Gimlin stuff. And the people who wrote me are hardcore Bigfooters. And I really appreciate the fact that they bothered to listen and they liked my research. I love it. I'm really oh, happy about that. That's great to hear that we're reaching yeah. different people. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Not just I love preaching it. to I, the absolutely. choir. Yeah. I mean, because of anything, people ought to figure at this point that I may be a skeptic, but <laughs> we, lo- we love monsters. <laughs> You're a reasonable person. And I really think that the 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 people who aren't reasonable uh, are, are in the, the minority. They're the, the few. Sometimes they're the loudest. That's the problem. Yes. Yes. Often so. Yeah. It's the, the silent middle. Yeah. So yeah. you want to talk about what you're working on? I mean, since we've got, we've got a minute. My latest book is uh, uh, going to be coming out probably mid-year. And so I don't know if you – it's tangential. It's not – What's uh, the title? 
<laughs> so bitch. Beep. The Sorry, journey... what? Can you say it again? Bitch, the journey of a word. <laughs> not nice. the worst thing that we've said on the show. No, 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 um, not at all. So, but yeah, it's a deep dive uh, into into the word, and uh, I mean, it's a long story as to why I've written this book, uh, and it's been several years in the making. Not paranormal, obviously, but there are lots of skeptical angles to it because there are weird theories about the um, the etymology of the word, where it came from, and um, how it's behaved, what it's done. So, you know, there's always skepticism in, in everything I've found, any research I've done, whether it's linguistics yeah. or the paranormal. Um, there's a skeptical Well, especially when you're, when you're doing historical stuff, it's so hard to know for sure, you know. it's no, Yeah, you know, it's, a lot of theories tricky. floating out there, and you really have to uh, delve into into that and see what, what really happened here. But it's such an interesting um, story, and, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proud of the work. I think – I always think my latest – book is my best but that's what i'm thinking again that's a good one. thing to think i like that <laughs> well well even if it's not directly topical for what we cover here it's good for people mm. to know what you're working on so that's awesome good luck with it thank you monster talk you've been listening to monster talk the science show about monsters i'm blake smith and i'm karen stolzner you've been listening to a discussion of the case of the kelly hopkinsville goblins and I'll be putting this case on the shelf for a while. I do have one remaining weird claim from this story that I'd like to address, but just an initial look into it made me realize it was its own whole class of misguided explanation for monsters. So we'll be getting back to that another day because it crosses lots of cases. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles, so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk's theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. We're a weird little show for people just like you, and we're delighted that you found us. been a Monster House presentation.